Please open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. That will be our main text this morning. It is worth pointing out, I like to point this out from time to time, that at Calvary, we predominantly teach through books of the Bible because we believe we really need God's Word. Christina pointed it out to us. I'll bring us back to it. Because we believe God's Word is inspired, that it, it came from Him. We believe that God's Word is inerrant, which means in its original manuscripts, it's completely without error. And all these things put together point to God's Word as being authoritative in our life. Which is to say that we affirm what Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.16. That all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. You lean into the Scriptures, it seems to be that we need to be taught. It seems to be that we need to be rebuked. We need to be corrected and we need to be trained. And so we lean not into the opinions of man, but into the Word of God. Because it's God's Word that teaches us. It reproofs us. It shows us our errors. It corrects us. It points us in the right direction. And it trains us in righteousness. And thus it is our desire that the main course of our preaching ministry would always center around the Word of God. And... We need to appreciate that when the, the scriptures that Paul is talking about here, when he exhorts Timothy towards 2 Timothy, what he's talking about is what we would call the Old Testament. That's what Paul and Timothy were talking about here. So these very truths, the idea that God's word is profitable, that it would teach us and train us, that we could profit from us, is all true of the book of Genesis. So we need to get that out there, keep that in front of us as we continue on in the book of Genesis. Last week, we started into the story of a man named Abram, a man who would later be named Abraham. And as we look to Abram, we need to be reminded that the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis are distinct in many ways from the rest of the book. That is, that the first 11 chapters show God's relationship with the world. It explains why things are, why the world exists, and how it came to exist, and it explains why man was created. And what we see post-creation in the book of Genesis, the narrative that we're able to see in those next several chapters, is that men continuously fall into increasing levels of not just sin, but grievous sin. And if fall seems too passive, it may actually appear like men are diving face first into it purposefully. Men are choosing rebellion. Men are rejecting the God who created them. And it serves not just to show the sin nature of man, but actually the total depravity of man without God intervening. And so as we turn to chapter 12, you start to find a, a major turning point in the text. Because in chapter 12, at the beginning, you'd find that there's virtually no knowledge of the Lord God. It's like everybody's walked away, everybody's rebelled, everyone's rejected. It's not something you expect to see in the Bible. And so when you come to chapter 12, the narrative begins to change. Something different happens. And that difference is that God starts intervening proactively. God begins to call, call to himself a people of his own choosing, a people that he might chose show his goodness to, a people he might show his mercy to, and so that the greater world would know him, could see him, and would see his glory. 
so the knowledge of him would be spread. And so God begins to do that by calling Abram to himself. And we see that in the first 10 verses in Genesis 12, that God initiates a relationship with Abram. And as we saw last week in Romans 4 and Hebrews 11, it wasn't because Abram was a good moral character. It wasn't because Abram had his act together. No, actually, the Bible suggests that God reached out to Abram while he was in the middle of idol worshiping, while he was completely lost. It wasn't because of Abram or his character. No, God reached out to Abram because of God's character, because who God is that he initiates. Such an important reality for us to lean into as we start to consider Abram, that God shows up and calls him to leave his old life behind. And so this morning, as we step back into Genesis 12, this is Abram who becomes Abraham, who becomes the father of our faith, right? I want you to keep this in your mind. As you work through the Old Testament, God begins to identify himself with Abraham. I'm God, the father of Abraham. So you'd expect he's going to be this epic character, right? That he's perfect, he's sinless, that he's a hero. We should all look at and go, hey, be like Abraham. And you'd be wrong. For Abraham was just a man. Just like you or me. Abraham had his strengths, he had his weaknesses, and he fell flat on his face early and often. And that's what we find in this text. For we to be exhorted, much like when we walk through the life of Noah, the end of this text is not be like Abraham. It's to recognize the one Abraham points to, to see Christ. So God calls out to Abraham and he responds. Genesis 12, 4 declares his response. This is what it says. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Friends, Abram heard the word of God and he responded and we got to pause for a second and rebuild the connection that we worked to build last week. To understand that God the Father has reached out to us by sending Jesus Christ, his son, born as a human, living a sinless life. He goes to the cross, dying an excruciating death. On the third day, rises again to new life. That the death paid, that his death paid the penalty for your sin and mine, and we too are called to respond. You can't come to Abram's life and watch him respond to God and not ask yourself the question, have I responded? Because absolutely everything depends on that response. Because the promises that Abram walks into, the promises that he's going to claim, the promises that are his are his because he responded. And I put that before you because as we walk through the rest of this text and we put some promises of God before you, you need to know that If you are not in Christ, they are not yours to claim. But brothers and sisters, if you are, there are some sweet, sweet promises for us to live in, to claim and to walk out. We'll see that as this text unrolls. So what does following him look like? Go to verse 10 and pick up our text this morning, Genesis 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. You follow the story in Genesis 12, 1. God says, I'm going to take you to the land I will show you. And he went. 
In Genesis 12, 7, God tells Abram, this is the land that I will give you into your descendants. And then the rain stops. The crops stop growing and the famine comes. Just a gentle nudge towards the reality that God who who has called you, God who has claimed you, God who is faithful to you can indeed walk you through hardship. He takes Abram into a land full of Canaanites. I'm going to give you this land. It's already occupied. We'll walk through a lot of that. I'm going to give you this land that's already occupied, and now it can't even feed you. What are you going to do? And what we find is Abram leaving and going to Egypt. What we find is Abram bailing out. While God was leading him and providing for him, as soon as he sees an obstacle, he's challenged with this question, can I trust God or should I take this in my own hands and find my own way out? Now, i got to be honest, that's how I see this text. There are other people who don't quite see it this way. There are people who would look at this and, and recognize that Abram leaving the land wasn't necessarily him being faithless. It could well be that God provided for him in a way we just don't see it in the text. But that question actually becomes less important when we see what comes next in verse 11. For when he was about to enter Egypt, Abram said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. And we need to consider for a moment Abram's plan. God, you have called me, and I have followed you. God, you have showed me where you want me and my family to go, and you have been faithful. And yet when it gets uncomfortable... Abram leaves, and when Abram comes to Egypt, rather than trusting in the faithful one, consider where he puts his hope. Not in God, but in the attractiveness of his wife. Verse 14. fourteen. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. We do need to note for the next several verses that she's no longer referenced by her name, and that communicates something. Actually, Moses, who's writing this out, is choosing to recognize that she's being objectified now. She's no longer a person. She's a commodity. Therefore, she loses her identity. It'll pick her name back up in the text later, but but pay attention to the fact she's now called the woman. The Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, 15. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants and female servants and female donkeys and camels. And friends, what we need to lean into in this text for just a moment is that leaving the land is not the issue. And seeking to deceive the Egyptians is not the issue, and neither is basically trading your wife for your security, which is a bad idea. You're safe, Pam. These are awful realities, but we have to recognize what, what the text is putting us forward is that these are symptoms of the worst problem. 
that the real issue that we see in Abram is that he's not holding on to the promises of God. He's not trusting God. He's not leaning into God's faithfulness. Rather, he's leaning into his situations. And so what he's really doing is Abram starts to put into jeopardy everything God has promised him. Abram starts to put into jeopardy all these things. God has already said, I'm going to do this for you. I mean, process that for a moment. You can't become a great nation if your wife is married to somebody else. It just doesn't work. Abram falls flat on his face in sin, and it could very well cost him everything. And what we find here in the book of Genesis is it's creating a contrast for us. And it's trying to make it abundantly clear for us who the hero is. And it isn't Abram. It's God. God is the faithful one, even when men aren't. The Bible works to make that plain and clear. It's God who's the only one who's faithful. So how does this story resolve? Verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. And they sent him, they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Abram and Sarai are sent away. And think about it for a moment. For there's not one part of this story where Abram is faithful. Not one part of it where he acts in accordance with what God has for him. He is in a foreign land. His wife is being prepared to marry Pharaoh all because of his faithlessness. And yet the one who shows up is the faithful one. The Lord afflicts Pharaoh. Friends, that is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. It's the Lord who steps into this story. It's the Lord who works to redeem Abram and Sarai. It's the Lord who keeps his promises despite Abram's faithlessness. See, that's one of the grand narratives we've got to lean into in Genesis. For Abram's faithlessness is problematic, but it's not bigger than God's faithfulness. And that's true for us too. Our faithlessness is problematic, but it's not bigger than God's faithfulness. He is more. He accomplishes more. He's able to do more. Consider what Paul writes in Romans 4. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are, let, who are to be the heirs. Faith is null and the promise is void. It's a complicated text to read, but if you, what, if you read through it all, what you start to see is that God didn't give a promise to Abraham that was going to be based on his performance. God didn't give a promise to Abraham that said, hey, you're going to be good enough, therefore I'll come alongside you in the quest I'm sending you on. You're going to be enough, so I want to send you out so I can walk with you in your enoughness. 
Now, what you see here is God saying that it's not based on works, but rather by faith that Abraham receives the promise. God actually looks at Abraham and says, brother, you are going to fall short. You're going to fall short all the time. But don't worry, your faithlessness will not be a challenge to me. Rather, I will come alongside you, I will carry you, and my promises will stand. Why? Because I'm God. God's promises stand because of him, not because of us, verse 16. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. The promise to Abraham depended on faith and it rested on grace. And you could see that play out because God says to you and your descendants. Listen to me, Isaac hasn't even been born yet. God will later say, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are not faithful men. It rests on the character and the faithfulness of God. That's what we see in Romans 4. So that, friends, if you have responded to Jesus Christ, if you have believed that Jesus died for your sins and he rose again on the third day to give you new life, Ephesians 1.13 would tell you this, and it's one of the most important truths of all eternity, that you have been included in Christ. You've been included in Christ, and that's a promise. Tells you if you've heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit and you are in Christ. It tells you that now he is your identity. And friends, what this starts to put before us is that the basis of our hope is not whether or not we can be faithful, but rather the basis of our hope is that he is always faithful, even when we fall flat on our face in sin, even when we walk faithless as Abram does in this passage. What Genesis 12 shows us and reminds us is that we too, like Abram, will fall short and our God is always faithful, even in our faithlessness. Why? Because his faithfulness stands on his character and not yours. He's not a conditional God. Friends, as we turn to close this morning, I want to remind you of some of the promises that we have in Christ. Truths that we are to walk in. Things that are always true for us if we have believed. Because this is where Abram was, right? He'd been given a promise and he walked forward and he didn't believe it. I want to affirm for you some things for us to walk in. Here's the first. God is always with you. Deuteronomy 31.6 would say, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Note, that's Deuteronomy 31. It'll get repeated twice in the book of Joshua and three times in the New Testament. Why? Because God wants you to know 
that if you are his, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus himself says in Matthew 28, Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The author of the book of Hebrews says in chapter 13, For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, pointing back to Joshua, pointing back to Deuteronomy. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Friends, this is a promise from God to those who believe in him. And it's not based on our character, and it's not based on our faithfulness. It's rooted in his character. It's rooted in his, rooted in his faithfulness. Secondly, I want you to see that God will always accomplish his will. We see these things in the text, right? Even when Abram goes to Egypt, even when he trades off his wife, God is still present with him. God is still working things out for him. And God will accomplish his will. Psalm 138.8 tells us, The Lord will fulfill his purposes for me. Your steadfast, O Lord, endures forever. In Romans 8, Paul would say, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. What the scriptures want to confirm for us who have believed in Jesus is that God is at work and he has got a plan and he's going to carry it out. He's going to accomplish his will. Why? Because it's based on him, not you. Thirdly, God will give wisdom. James 1.5 tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without approach, and it will be given to him. If you lack wisdom, that speaks to all of us. Ask God and he'll give it to you. Doesn't matter where your faithfulness is. It doesn't matter where you are in this. It's a promise God has made to us and it stands on his character. Finally, God will meet you where you are. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, I put these texts before you. I put these promises before you because we see them if we look into the story of Abraham. God was with him when he was in Egypt, and God was carrying out his will because God had planned to. God was going to be faithful even in his faithlessness. And God would have given Abram wisdom if he would have just stopped and asked. The two different places where Abram could have gone, Lord, is it a good idea to trade my wife for security? I assure you God would have said no. Abram got into trouble and he started wandering away from God because he started to think it was about him and his security and his faithfulness and what he needed to do to take care of himself. And he stopped believing in a really big, faithful God who would keep his word. Friends, these promises, these New Testament promises do not rest on us. 
They do not rest on our faithfulness. They do not rest on our performance. Rather, we need to understand that they have been bound to us as we have been bound to Jesus Christ. He will not leave us and he will not forsake us. Let me pray for us. Father, as we work through this text in Genesis 12, we see Abram falling flat on his face. Father, something that happens to us regularly. Father, even the heroes of the Bible, even the men we point forward to or back towards, even the men that are exalted in Hebrews 11, Father, we see falling flat on their face. And it's because all of them, all of them fell short of the glory of God. Just like every man does and will. Father, our greater hope is not in our performance. It's not in our ability. It's not in us. It's in you. So, Father, I have no idea what situations are before me this morning. I have no idea what's going on in our lives, Father, that would cause us to not trust you. But I know, Father, we're prone to wander. And I pray, Father, that you would, in this moment, build within your people a steadfastness to cling to your promises. That we would know we have a God who is faithful even when we're faithless. We have a God who is with us even when we've wandered away. We have a God who will carry us forward even when we're trying to fall backwards. Thank you for being a faithful God despite our faithlessness. Thank you for always being consistent. Thank you for always being loving, for always being merciful, for always being kind. Thank you that in Abram's life, you worked in Pharaoh to have his family released. And thank you that you blessed him abundantly through it all. And Father, would you work in our lives to bring us back to you. Whatever that looks like and whatever that takes. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.